Long we've tossed on the rolling main, now we're safe ashore, Jack. Don't forget your old shipmate, folly, rolly, 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 rigo. Since about the dawn of man, or at least his ability to tell stories, the sea and open ocean have long captured the imagination. Myths, legends, and mysteries abound in the wide blue expanse. Naturally, it was something to be explored, and just about any civilization you can name worked on bringing about advancements in naval and maritime technology, such as navigational charting, understanding of currents, and advancements in shipbuilding. All of this came to a head in the final eras of man's reliance on the wind to get across the sea, the Age of Sail. Technically, the Age of Sail starts in about the 1500s, but most of us associate it with its golden years, which were the 18th and 19th centuries. This was when sailing vessels were at their peak sophistication, ending only when steamships became more practical. During this time, there were great naval battles, swashbuckling pirate escapades, and it was one of the most exciting periods of exploration the world had ever known. The evident appeal of this era is undeniable. Whether thinking about Melville's stories of industry or of whatever the latest Pirates of the Caribbean movie is, people have long flocked to tales of the sea. But we get a lot of fiction and not much fact. Ghosts and legendary whales don't really typify uh, the high sea life. For some, it isn't just uh, hearing the myths. It's about knowing the real nitty-gritty of sailing, of naval practices and policies, and everything it took to get from point A to point B on a temperamental ocean. Of course, the pirate's life for me element helps. But uh, to really get into the age of sail, I'm now joined by Cheryl Jones. Hello. Good to be Hello. here. Hello. Thank you for being here. That was an awesome introduction, by oh, the way. I loved great. it. <laughs> great. I'm glad to do it justice. That's, you did. That's always the part of these that I worry about, just because, you know, it's going to be me starting this off, yes. talking like an authority yes, on these on things. on something you don't really know that much about, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I take it. I take that as a great compliment. It um, was awesome. So, yes. Thank you for coming here. And, uh, thank you for inviting gonna, me. Oh, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> then I got to say that, uh, you know, my previous episodes have focused on much smaller uh, uh, points of interest, I think. This is a pretty expansive one. Yes and no. I mean, it is, but if you get down to the nitty-gritty of what, like, what I have really studied, per se, it's so narrow. Got it, got it. <laughs> and my interests within it are, are surprisingly, well, my interests within history are surprisingly narrow well, as let's, well. Well, let's uh, get into that. Um, so tell us a little bit about your uh, focus of study within this. My focus of study, because I went, there's a very long story that we can get into later if you want about how I came to this. But uh, my focus of study, I, I just a few years ago, what, five years ago now, moved to England and went to University of Exeter and got a master's degree in history specializing in maritime history. And within that, you know, because you have to write a dissertation, right? So my dissertation was about quota men in the British Royal Navy, 1795 to 1797. Something most people have never even did you draw heard that of. out of. <laughs> did you draw that out of a hat or something? No, like what, what? it actually, I went over and I wanted to write about landsmen in the Royal Navy who were non-sailors who came into the Navy. And I wanted mm. to write about how they learned their lines, as it were, how they learned the ropes. Uh, but there's just not enough documentation for that. And I knew that going into it. So I was sort of casting about for what in the heck am I going to write about that's going to sustain my interest. And I, I came up with a subject that I was almost going to do about a couple of uh, East India Company vessels mm -hmm. that, tur that mutinied and turned pirate and had like a mm -hmm. two-year pirating career, or so a book said. Right. And when I went to try to research that a little bit just in our school library, I couldn't get anywhere with it. And I thought... This is going to take too much time and money. I can't fly to these islands where this <laughs> supposedly happened to do archival research. So I've got to find something else. And in class one day at the end of our first term, uh, I was in a Royal Navy class at the time. And our instructor brought up quota men and the fact that they had this really negative reputation as the guys who sort of created this. Uh, there were mutinies that happened really big fleet-wide mutinies in 1797. I'm hoping my dates are right there. Uh, at Spithead and the Nor, which are two anchorages, right. one off of Portsmouth and one at the mouth of the Thames. And, and so these guys kind of took the blame as, oh, well, the quota acts people, you know, enrolled a bunch of, all the counties gave them a bunch of criminals and all of these, uh, all of these anarchists and people from, 
revolutionary groups with these ideas that came over from the French Revolution. You know, all these they enrolled all their people and they created this mutiny. So I thought, well, that seems ridiculous. And in fact, <laughs> it is ridiculous. And so that's what I set out to prove by doing a ton of archival research all over the country. Wow. And uh, I went to like eight different archives and spent a full week at the National Archives in Kew outside of London. So I was able to look at the enrollment records and everything and, and kind of clear their reputation and say that it's it's pretty ridiculous to think that it, they were enrolling all these kinds of guys. It was actually just regular people. They weren't enrolling criminals from it. and right. And there weren't enough of these guys who could possibly have been these anarchists, you know, from certain professions that were named in previous books on any individual vessel to have created any kind of real problem. So no, um, that's, I mean, in kind of a nutshell, that's it. I could right. go for hours. Of, of course. <laughs> but no, that does sound very dramatic. Um, yeah. and you know, sort of as a, uh, well, you know, before, before you got here, um, what could have been described as like, you know, a, a an aside of history. Yes. Um, but even that's just a crazy amount of, of thing going on. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, and, you know, I, you, you came to this one later. Um, yes. In your studies of, uh, of this subject, um, it seems really easy to get overwhelmed uh, oh, with yeah. the amount of yeah. stuff there is. Like, how, how do you sort of, like, navigate that? Nah, huh. ah, uh, I see um, what you did there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you sort of uh, – how did you – how did you focus yourself in this? Like sort of what brought you to where you ended up and were there any sort of other paths that you thought about taking with it? Well, uh, well I mean, what – should I go back to the beginning? You know, if, you, <laughs> no, if that helps, by all means. I mean, you know, like, hey – uh, I think it's easiest to lay it lay it all out for you so you can see the full level of nerddom. Great. And then and then how I ended up deciding to kind of go pro nerd. So <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Well, yeah. Let's start with your amateur make, nerd days. Okay, your rookie I'll, nerd days. I'll make it as quick as I can. So uh, early July two thousand three, a movie called Pirates of the Caribbean came out. Ah, yes. And I went into it expecting it to be horrible. I was like, hey, it's Johnny Depp fun, but you know, it's based on the ride. I love the ride but it's going to be dumb because how can you turn that into a movie? I saw it at downtown Disney, everything, you know, the whole Disney thing. I saw it and I fell in love with the character Barbosa in it and with the movie. Oh, as Jeffrey a whole. Rush. Yes, yeah, yeah. it is all Jeffrey Rush for me. And when we get to the end of this, you will see why I think he should pay my student loan. <laughs> if I ever meet him, uh, I will tell him that. But uh, so I saw the movie, not expecting it to be good. But when I came out, I was in love with the whole thing. And I thought, I want to learn what the reality is of pirates. Because clearly this isn't it in this right. movie. But there might be nuggets of truth. And there are. And so I picked up a book that I brought with me today. It's called, uh, I, I brought, you know, little things to make me feel good that I had information here. Um <laughs> It's called Under the Black Flag by David Cordingly, and that's the very first maritime history book I ever read, and I, I loved it so much. I told all my friends to read it. I bought it and gave it to some of my friends. Like, oh, this great. is the yeah, most yeah. amazing thing. Super re All of his books are amazing, but uh, it's super readable, and it gave me that first taste of what the reality is of the pirates in the Caribbean. And so from that, I ended up uh, taking, you know, I got really into pirates. I read everything I could read about pirates to the point that everything was just repetitive because there's only so much out there. Mm -hmm. I decided to learn about their ships. So I started reading about that. Then I thought, oh, there must be with all this coastline in California, there must be some tall ships around. The Lady Washington from Washington State happened to be in town as she she comes down every winter. And she actually portrayed the uh the Interceptor in Pirates of the Caribbean, the ship that they steal. Oh, cool. And yeah, she yeah. was still painted for the movie in her Royal Navy colors and everything. So I went out. I sailed on the ship, uh, fell in love with that, took sailing lessons because of that. So I have three sailing certifications. We uh, are going to get into that, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, they were from a long time ago, though. That was 2004 and five. In 2005. They're from a long time ago. <laughs> When you're Meaning, talking about ships that were at their peak <laughs> that in 1830? A, that is a valid point. Yeah. Uh, but then I spent a week aboard the Lady Washington crewing between we started in San Pedro and went up to Oxnard. I was supposed to spend, spend two weeks. I only stayed a week. I got in. I took fencing lessons. I did that for about three years. Um, I started doing English country dancing, which is of the era. I call it genteel square dancing, yeah. so you get an idea yeah. of what it is. And we all dress up in Regency era Jane Austen style clothing. It's really nerdy. 
and I love it. Um, <laughs> I even created a ball, a new event in Orange County because we didn't have one there, which was themed to the Royal Navy called the Admiral Nelson Ball. Oh. And that's been going six years now. So, um, and so I did all those things then. Uh, and throughout all of that, I was working for Disney at the time. And on all of my lunch breaks, I would go outside and I sit on a bench and I would read whatever maritime history book I was working on at the time. And I, got, I read so many books. I mean, I was up to like 60 books or something that I've read. And I thought, okay, I kind of need to go pro with this because I need to understand the difference between a good book and a bad book on the subject. Mm-hmm. Like who, mm-hmm. how do I know if these books are telling me, you know, reliable information? Because there are differences in some right, of them. And of I don't know who to go with. So that's when I started thinking about, going back to school and I was very unhappy in my Disney job and uh, what and were you doing for Disney I was doing guest service for their credit card and gift card programs it was a Got telephone it. based job with it was literally a dead-end job there was nowhere to advance to mm-hmm. and, and I'd reached kind of total competence in the job and at that point what do you do right <laughs> right no that's fair left. that's fair so uh so yeah I went back to school at uh, Fullerton College just to make sure I could handle going back to school Got an AA there because I only needed to take like five classes to do it. I was like, hey, <laughs> this is the order to get the bachelor's first and then get the AA because yeah, it's yeah. easy. So uh did that, thought, yeah, I can do it, and uh, and started the process of applying to, you know, I kept looking around, and the first time I looked, I didn't even come across University of Exeter, and but there were like Greenwich University had a really great program. By the time I was really serious about it, I looked at all those universities again that I'd looked at the first time, and they'd all gotten rid of their age of sail programs, oh. and it all gone 20th century. And I couldn't care less about ships in the 20th century. So <laughs> once steam engines come around, forget it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very particular. Know thyself. That's important. <laughs> that yeah. right. But then I discovered University of Exeter, and they still had a maritime history MA, and they had age of sail courses. So I applied when I when they wrote back to me. They had eliminated the maritime history MA and just rolled it into an overall history degree. Mm. But they said, if you want to do that, we'll accept you. I said, well, are you going to offer the classes I want? They were like, maybe. So I took a chance and and went, and they did offer, you know, close enough to what I needed, and uh, and then did the dissertation. So, and now I have my podcast, which came out of that influence as well, because it's about movies the movies that influenced you to be who you are and clearly that was a really big yeah one. <laughs> no the time before and after seeing pirates <laughs> yes. of the caribbean um but uh well yeah i mean that's a fascinating you know <laughs> no, long, no, but... no 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 it's but it is a fascinating thing that you know um i would say that the majority of people yes. um know about uh the age of sale through the representations whether whether they were made at the time or the right. things which have gained a bit of hyperbole in in right. Uh, well, you history. know it from Pirates of the Caribbean, or you know it from watching Black Sails, right? Or or from all the older movies, you know, yep. or books, Mutiny on the Bounty, and, sort yes, of thing. Yeah. yeah. So that and those are your images of things like the Royal Navy, something like Mutiny on the Bounty. So a lot of people have, and, and then just the things that you hear in various places. People, a lot of people have some kind of negative views of the royal navy like it was very brutal and the punishment was so awful and they didn't get enough food and all that and the vast majority of that is completely incorrect well i mean for those listening that um you know may have picked up a a book or movie about um about this about uh the royal navy or the age of sail generally what would you say really kind of like got it and what do you think is probably the most nonsensical or like totally, <laughs> totally off? I mean, excluding, <laughs> excluding, of course, you know, magical elements Muppet and all Jedi that Island. stuff. Actually, that's yeah. pretty good. But yeah. uh, uh, for me, for like Royal Navy, I think there are two movies that really nail it in a really great way. One is Master and Commander, oh, which yeah. really gets it pretty close to correct. I mean, that's as close as you're going to get to feeling what it was like to live on a Royal Navy vessel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is an older movie called Billy Budd, which is taken from oh, a yeah. Melville story. Yeah, yeah. I read the story, and that's just difficult to get through. It's not long, but uh, but the it's movie, Melville. He's yes. a tough one. <laughs> yeah. But the movie is amazing, and and it's a heartbreaking movie too. But mm. it but I think it shows one. It shows kind of life on board, and two, it shows sort of the like an officer's responsibility 
to carry out the rules of the Royal Navy, regardless of whether it's what he wants to do or mm-hmm. not. So, uh, but it's, yeah, I think it's a really effective movie. And Master and Commander, who doesn't love what, well, I say who doesn't love watching that? Lots of people, yeah, let's yeah. be honest. Oh, I like it. But, um, uh, I but love it. Is there anything that you, uh, that you as a, uh, as a pro nerd at this just sort of <laughs> scoff at? Like anything that's just totally off base or, or just? Well, the, every, everything, every movie about pirates, every show, every book, whatever, uh, they all, you know, they all put things out there that I sit there. I was telling you, I was just listening to a podcast that was about Blackbeard. And, mm-hmm. and although it was very funny, which it was intended to be, uh, there was a lot of, you know, I was sitting in my car listening to this going, no, that's not, no, you guys, <laughs> that's wrong. So, I mean, thankfully they talked about walking the plank and they said that is, that never happened, which is very true. That's a Hollywood construct. It's very exciting, but a pirate would not bother to take the time if he wanted to get rid of you to place out a plank on the side of the ship and make you walk out on it and have this big he would just you know they often would just like throw you over or break your back and throw you over i read about some that did that that's really awful and you know they would not take the time that does seem way more effective (laughs) and offering (laughs) less chance to escape i guess because that seems to be mostly why people walk the plank is to get out of walking the plank yeah way out of it yeah (laughs) Um, no, I mean, that's kind of, that stuff is kind of fascinating and it is interesting to hear that you kind of got into this less from a, you know, from the, from the pop realm into an academic uh, career. Going into the academic world, every time somebody would ask me that question, well, what brought you to this? And I would say Pirates of the Caribbean. And I would say, now roll your eyes because that's exactly what would happen. They would roll their eyes. Like, what does it matter? What got me here? I am here. Yeah. And I'm serious about this. So don't don't discount pop culture because it can bring people to things that both you and they don't expect. Yes. So, you know, don't knock it. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, it's just I would say that, uh, you know, this is part of the show. Everybody's got their passions. And, you know, right. like pop culture is probably the easiest way we get exposed to things. Yes. Just because, you know, popular movies and TV and books and things. But um, – you know, like there were clearly a lot of opportunities for you to say that was well enough, right, um, right. you know, along this way. Like, yes. you know, you read every book to the point of it being sounding a little redundant and all yeah. that or contradictory. Um, what kind of about this period of time? Because, you know, it's not just Pirates of the Caribbean that kept you going. Right. No, like, so not. what what really kind of like kept your interest with it? I think it's just because my approach to it, you know, there are people who study this period and they study it from the perspective of the battles, the tactics, the weapons, the great men. Uh, For me, I took a more, and this is the thing I learned in classes, of course, I took a more Marxist approach to it, where to me it was history from the bottom up. I was interested Hmm. in what life was like for the average sailor on these ships. And I think that's what really kept me interested is learning this different perspective on this from what you might normally hear. You know, you'll hear about Horatio Nelson, you know, Britain's greatest naval hero. And and you'll hear about these great men and you'll hear about Trafalgar and the Battle of the Nile and all these things. But you don't hear about what was it like for the average Jack Tar, as they're called, the average sailor on these ships you know and how did they man the ships and what was the food like and and things and and so that was the stuff that I just found really interesting like what was life like doing that what if I if I and and the connection for me really was because I went and sailed on a tall ship for a week you know and I did some additional stuff with the LA Maritime Institute vessels and And, you know, so I was kind of the landsman coming into that. I was the new guy who didn't know how to work a ship. Uh, So that's what kind of fascinated me about landsmen in the Royal Navy is, okay, that would be me. So Mm -hmm. I could put myself in those shoes and say, what would that be like? And what would my life be like when I was on? And when I became an able seaman, what would... What would it be like then? And you know. I'm going to take a guess that the answer to it is not easy. Life is, <laughs> is not very easy. No, in it's not easy. But when you when you compare a lot of it to the contemporary life of people living on shore, it wasn't you know remarkably worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything know? was terrible back right. then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, it was getting better, right? But right. not what we have today. And that's one of the things is people talk about 
pirates and their brutality, or they talk about the Royal Navy and the brutality of punishments. Uh, but what we're doing when we talk about that and how awful it is, is we're looking at it from our modern perspective. And yes, it's terrible compared to what we would do today. But when you compare it to the official governmental punishments for criminals in that era, in the contemporary era, it's not out of line. Mm-hmm. So it, the, the some of the official punishments that I've read about are really horrible. They're just awful. Yeah. People being pressed to death, you oh, know, and, and drawn and quartered and things. Ooh, These were real yeah, things yeah, that they yeah. officially did to punish you. Uh, but, you know, if, if a guy was being... Uh, was being whipped on a boat, you know, when they brought out the cat of nine tails and, and hooked him up to a, a, a hatch from the ship, you know, and, and would whip him. That wasn't out of line, right. even when it was something where he would get 400 lashes and that's enough to kill a person Yeah, and would frequently do, do that. that. Yeah. But that was not out of line with punishments ashore. So... No, I guess no one looks back at like 1700s England right. and was like, "What a great time to be alive! What <laughs> right. an Eden of history!" And, uh, and on the and on the other hand, as well, also to keep, you have to keep order on a ship. I mean, if you let people go off and do things that are against the rules, and you don't punish people, you're going to have an anarchy on this ship, and it's a that's a very small world. Right. Just to walk back a little bit from yeah. what we were talking about, you did bring up that you are a tall ship operator seaman <laughs> sailor whatever you want to call it operator. yeah yeah um you know how to was, use the I big was, boats um, <laughs> i was categorized on the lady washington as a topman um which i kind of didn't totally earn that i i did some photography for them and stuff and so oh, i was okay. in with the, so i did do the work but only for that week so but right. technically i did do the work of a topman which means I climbed the rigging, which is the you know the yeah. lines that go up the side of the ship, and went up and worked the sails out on the the yard arms. I feel like I'm going to be using a lot of terms that people are like, "What the hell?" So yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would hope that worse. most people can imagine a tall ship, <laughs> yes. though. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I did the work. It was scary as anything, but I did Oof, it. Yeah. And how uh, tall know. was the mast of the, the I, ship you were on? I the... never went all the way up. Thankfully, there were okay. people who would go up and skylark, as it's called, who could play up there, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. But uh, I think it was like, I can't remember, the ladies maybe like 80 some odd feet high. Yeah, that's know. tall. Yeah. So, and I, I was not that far up, you know, so, but still far enough if I fell, it wasn't going to be good. And you do use yeah. climbing harnesses. And I bought my right. own because I love to buy the gear for stuff. When get it. into something yeah, new, yeah. I buy all the gear. So, yeah, I had my whole own thing. And, and on that vessel, uh, you wear what they call funnies, which are, you know, sort of period clothing, sort mm-hmm. of kind of. And so I got my whole own set of funnies and everything. So I Fantastic. can still dress as a sailor or a pirate either way, uh, you know, so. <laughs> well, it, what, what um, you know, like that's a that's a rare thing where I think that a lot yes. of people are, you know, aficionados of whatever it would be, some sort of military history or technical history, but rarely get the opportunity to actually do the damn thing right um, especially with tall ships the percentage of people in the world who have spent any time crewing a tall ship is pretty low yeah but <laughs> did working on it really give you a new perspective oh, on yeah. this stuff yeah uh, like, learning learning all of that learning sailing separate from that getting the sailing certifications that i got i did that so that when i was on the lady i would have some understanding of what was happening mm-hmm. sailing wise at any moment uh but yeah doing the Learning to do this uh, on the twin brigantines of the L.A. Maritime Institute, the Exe Johnson and Irving Johnson, and then also doing the week on the Lady Washington. The Lady Washington is a recreation. She was built in the 1980s, but she's a recreation of one of the first two American vessels that sailed from Boston around Cape Horn and up to the Pacific Northwest to trade with the the indigenous peoples there. She sailed with the Columbia Red Aviva, which was a much larger ship. Which is the ship that the sailing ship Columbia at Disneyland is based on? So they ah, have. All right. they See, have that's a, a point of reference that people can totally yes. get. Yeah, yeah. And they, I don't know whether they still do it, but every Christmas when the lady was down here, the crew used to go to Disneyland. There were people there on the Columbia who would sign them into the park. They would go on the Columbia, show those crew members at Disneyland what it would be like to actually, you know, 
sail that. And then oh, the cool. Columbia crew members would go out for a sail on the Lady Washington another day and actually kind of get to do it, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so uh, for, per your, you know, like uh, Marxist interests yes. in this kind of thing. <laughs> which so, calling um, it Marxist sounds like it's some communist thing or no, something. I but, I, but it's what they call it. It's just history from below. People's history. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. not because history used to be written by the great men for the great men, making the great men look like great men. Right. And so it wasn't until Marxist history started that they were like, hey, what about the little guy? And so we started looking at history a different way. Um, it, and working on the ship kind of gave you that sense of empathy with uh, yes. a quotaman from, from back in the day? Yes, with any sailor. I actually really enjoyed doing the work. I just – the only reason I left after a week was because I got very bored because <laughs> <laughs> I kind of already learned it all. And right. so I wasn't learning anything new. And we were super shorthanded when I was on the vessel. So there wasn't any time to really like just learn stuff. Plus, mm. I learned I don't actually like sailing very much. Ah. <laughs> Hindrance. <laughs> what I did – so when we were out sailing, we'd take school kids out and stuff. And there was a day when we came into Oxnard, we were early for our arrival in the harbor, like it was a grand arrival kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so we just were sailing around back and forth. We had another vessel with us, the Bill of Rights, and we were sailing around. And everybody else was like, oh, this is awesome. We just get to sail. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> I don't like this. But what I loved was when we would be docked and we would do dockside tours. Mm. And I would take everyone else's shifts doing that. I'd be like, no, no, no. I know you hate this. You stay down in the hold and relax. I'm going to keep showing this vessel to these people coming on because it would only cost a few dollars to come on and do that. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm not meant to be a sailor. I'm meant to be both a photographer and a historian right. of this sort of stuff because oh, I like to share it with people. Oh, know? that's good to know. All yeah. right. Yeah, that that's good to know about I, oneself too. Yes, it um, helped me learn where in that world I belonged. You mentioned this a few times, but um, the uh, the the technical aspects of all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think that a lot of people. I mean, the seminal text on sailing is probably Moby Dick. Like, as far as like literature, fiction, yes, yeah, yes, fiction, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, or um, or uh, two years before the mast. Okay, yeah, but. I, we talked about Melville before, mm-hmm. and Melville was a guy that, like, you know, a lot of people gripe that, you know, Moby Dick, there can be, you know, a uh, hundred pages just on knots right. um, and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, some people, re- I mean, clearly Melville liked it, and some people really do. Like, do yeah. you, uh, does, is the technical stuff about this, did you find it kind of like... It sounds like you didn't find it homework. It sounded like it right. was something that really kind of got you further into it. Well, there was a there was another book, another one I brought to show you, uh, called The Young Sea Officer's Sheet Anchor. Mm-hmm. That's a mouthful. And yeah. it was written in the early 1800s. So it's just, just past this era, still dealing with these sailing vessels. And this was something I read pretty early on in my delve into maritime history. Mm-hmm. And there and it's very technical. It's it's a, a book that a a young lieutenant in the Royal Navy could pick up and learn all these parts of the vessels, wow. basically. And so with this book, there were whole pages I read and went, I have no idea what that said. <laughs> <laughs> I have just, just no clue. I read it. Mo- I don't know what it meant. Yeah. So, but there was a lot of it that did make sense. And then as you, as you read, you know, stuff starts to make more sense. And that was one of the things I put off reading Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander books, because they're 21, counting the unfinished 21st book Oof, geez, yeah. um, in that series. And everybody kept telling, oh, my God, you'll love this series so much. And, and oh, and you know all these terms, so you'll get all these sailing parts and battle parts. And I was kind of afraid to read them because I was afraid I would like them and have to read all 21, <laughs> which is, in fact, what happened. Oh, no. Uh, and I spent a year and a half of lunch breaks reading those books. And was very sad when they were done. But, uh, but yeah, it did make it – I mean, I think I encountered two things in the course of those 21 books that I was like, eh, I'm not sure what that means. But the vast majority of, you know, battle actions and whatnot, I totally got what was happening, whereas the, you know, the layman wouldn't would, – it would be a thing like reading the sheet anchor where they'd be like, I, okay, I read it. I have no idea what happened. Yeah. 
but the, the the technical stuff has its appeal, though. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. I love technical things. Like, I, I used to do motorsport photography for a while. And, oh, wow. And okay. for, while doing that, I got really into, like, the idea of the race cars and things like that. And I, I read some pretty simple, but some books about, you know, race racing aerodynamics and mm-hmm. things like that and engines and whatnot. So I like to kind of get into that once in a while. But it has to be... A subject I'm really keen on, you know, it can't. Right. I don't just do it randomly. So now that's that's a fair point. Yes. Um, <laughs> give us a give us a peek into some of the technical <laughs> stuff that that we may not know. Uh, I may have set this up ahead of time. I just want to be honest about that. So there, I, I just want to share my three favorite words on a sailing ship. Okay, do parts it. of the vessel. There's spanker. Everybody loves that one. Of course. That's the sail. The Lady Washington has a spanker. It's on the the rearmost mast, so it could be the mizzen mast or the main, depending on the type of vessel, uh, that comes off. It's a fore and aft sail, so it mm-hmm. runs along the length of the ship, basically. It's not a square sail, but that's the spanker. Uh, fuddock is a fantastic word. Those, when you get up, if you look at a ship and you look at the, at the rigging and at the, the shrouds that you would climb up, you know, they basically mm-hmm. look like a rope ladder. Uh, and then you get to a point where there's a thing called the top, which is where you hit the, where the, the first yard, where the sails will hang off of. So, and there's like a top you can stand on there, a platform basically. If it's a really big ship, it'll have a what they call a lubber's hole, and you can go up through that hole to get onto that platform. It's a, if it's a smaller vessel, you you have to go, you have to climb the futtock shrouds, which you're coming up one angle, you have to basically lean out kind of backward <laughs> and go around the edge of that. It's hard to describe, but if you see it, you'll go, oh, yeah, I've seen those. They have them on the Columbia at Disneyland. Uh, it's the scariest part of climbing, but those are the futtock shrouds, Fuck. those weird ones that stick out at the wrong direction. And then uh, baggy wrinkle is an amazing word. And that's old rope that's unraveled uh, all the way down to its strands. So it's very soft. And then it's wound around lines where the sails will shape against the lines and the baggy wrinkle makes it soft so you don't get holes in your sails. See, now, (laughs) I had a bet with myself on this one. Yes. Um, Whether or not you would be um, too sophisticated in both technical know-how of boats <laughs> and ships uh or too sophisticated to just not bring up the low-hanging fruit <laughs> but uh way to go yeah. to, to like to, to move you, beyond the poop deck okay well speaking of poop deck i want to show you the other book i brought because this is my absolute favorite maritime history book i have ever read this is from texas a&m press and it's a, a master's dissertation that was turned into a book it's called those vulgar tubes External sanitary accommodations aboard European ships of the 15th through 17th centuries. This is literally Ooh, a book God. about how to poop and how to pee on a ship. Like how oh, they man. did it, how they arranged it. And it is my favorite because <laughs> it's such an obscure and particular topic. Yep. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean. I wish I had gotten to write about this subject for my dissertation. Oh, <laughs> man. Guy, you got that stuck guy with was quota, so man. lucky. Oh, uh, no. Um, <laughs> And by the way, I do want to say, because this is important, technically speaking, the only thing that can be called a ship in the sailing era is a three-masted square-sailed vessel, like Mm. HMS Victory, which is a first-rate ship of the line in the Royal Navy, which you can still visit. She still exists, and she's amazing. You can go to Portsmouth, England, and see her. She's dry docked, but the size will stagger you, this vessel. She's Mm -hmm. 104 guns and just amazing i recommend it uh but yes that is the only kind of thing that can be called a ship everything else is like a brig a brigantine or whatever and i even can't tell the difference but i don't know what they all are i can name a brig because that's what the lady washington is but anything else i'm like i think that's a catch i don't know so (laughs) but a ship i can identify immediately it's uh you know it's encouraging that not even you know (laughs) all of the that is not my forte within this subject yeah (laughs) now uh you did Talk about um, how you were disinterested in the sort of traditional historical trappings of this, the yes. great men, the great battles, yes. and all of that. Uh, Although I do have a favorite great man of the Royal Navy, and it is not Nelson, believe it or not. It's it's uh, Thomas Cochrane. He was a Scottish uh, captain, eventually did become an admiral, 
But he, if you read the Master and Commander books, the vast majority of what Jack Aubrey does in those books, the character that Russell Crowe played in the movies, is based on Cochrane. Oh, okay. So it's a mixture of a few other guys as well. But mostly some stuff that just seems like total fiction when you read it is actually real out of his life. And his autobiography is so fun to read because he is, if he, I hope I can curse, he's such, yes. a, he's such a prickly bastard. It's fantastic. Fantastic. He was a guy yeah, who great. knew how smart he was and would not deal with fools. You know, he did not suffer them. And he got himself into a lot of trouble knowing how smart he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of trouble. But I absolutely adore him. <laughs> that's No, that's very interesting because I, I, I remember um, – in master and commander some line that i thought was brilliant where like it was asking uh, paul bettany to name a shrub after him like something yes. that was prickly uh, and difficult yes. to extinguish <laughs> yes just, exactly the, yes just amazing use of the english <laughs> right there um but uh but i guess sort of you know you talk about uh fellow fellow scholars in this and um other people that were interested is being interested in the you know the the, the smaller man as opposed to the great man, uh, kind of like a niche of the niche, um, or... I don't think so these days, no. Okay. I think it's pretty common across history. It's pretty common to look at it like that. And there are a ton of books about that based on the Royal Navy. You know, there, there's a book called Jack Tar by Roy and Leslie Adkins that's really good. Um, although they do get the quota men thing wrong, but <laughs> most do. Uh, oh, no. But, you know, but there are a lot of books out there now that look at that part of the life. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty common to look at that. When you say these days. Um, well, I mean, as opposed to like the earlier eras, the 1800s oh, okay. and Sorry. things when they wouldn't really have done that yet. I just wasn't sure how much you meant like was available to you when <laughs> yeah. you started your interest yeah, with this. Yeah, there was quite a lot. So, okay. yeah, I was able to kind of get a good steeping in that. That's why I had to really specialize so much is because the the broader picture had already been really fleshed out. So. Now, if you want to write about those guys, you've got to find a kind of niche got it. thing like like sanitation right. systems. You know, <laughs> that's that, a niche. you know, yeah. Maybe just no one wanted to no one wanted to get into it before, but someone someone I mean, figured out where their calling this was. Book on Amazon, and I bought it, and I love it. It's like that's I just it's so fantastic. Uh, well, now uh, to talk a little bit more about sort of the 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 world of. Um, Maritime scholars, mm-hmm. um, which you are a part of, I guess and, so. Yes, yeah, more uh, or less. At yeah, this point. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, for the listeners at home who maybe are a little slow on the uptake, you are a woman. I am. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, um, that's reflected in my voice. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, these sorts of uh, military histories oh, yeah. and things like that uh, usually seem like a bit of a boys' club. Yes. Yeah, so all of my in my classes, all of my classmates were male. I'm trying to think, was there one other? I think there was supposed to be another woman in one class, and she never showed up. So <laughs> <laughs> we were like, mm. she was a foreign student like me, and, and we are like, you're going to get sent home. Okay, right. uh, right. that's up to you. But, yes, not only were they all male, but we – I mean, there was one day in the Royal Navy history class, we were on a break, and I can't remember why, but I said, yeah, I got my bachelor's degree in communications, radio, TV, sure. film, in 1991. And they, and of course, one sitting across from me says, oh, I was a year old then. And another one said, oh, I was just born that year. And I said, guys, I know. Please don't say it again. <laughs> he said, you make me feel so old. I was literally twice their age, all yeah, of my yeah. classmates. you know. And there were there were other mature students in other parts of the history department. Sure. But within what I was studying, yeah, it was me and a bunch of 20-something-year-old guys, which was fun. I mean, we had we still could go out and have fun together, but, you know. But uh, is there, you know, I mean, in just about every – Every, every, everything. Um, yes. Oh, yes. You know, there's, there, <laughs> a, a, it is, <laughs> it is tough to, you know, it's, it, like, women have it a certain kind of tougher than men yes. do in these. Like, yes, how has the experience been in this kind of world? Because within, within the history community, I haven't experienced any real problems. I mean, I can't say I've done a ton within that community. Sure. Especially since I graduated, I've been to one conference. Uh, that happened here locally. That was exciting. A local conference on the subject. 
Um, and I did, I did do some things while I was over there and everybody was very open and welcoming because there were quite a few other female historians in the general subject. Mm -hmm. But then you have like, when you're dealing with laymen, you, you do like in the English country dancing, there have been a couple of guys I've talked with when I first came back, especially, you know, about, Oh, what'd you study? And I would tell them about quote and whatever, and you know, what I'd studied and they weren't these guys that they said they were and you know and they would say oh yeah but they enrolled all these criminals blah blah and i'd be like no see that's what i just told you i studied that Mm -hmm. and determined they didn't yeah but they you know it's like no listen to me please (laughs) you haven't studied this i have i'm right you're wrong Please stop doing that <laughs> because it's very much the mansplaining kind of thing where it's like, right. oh, yeah, I know this subject and you're a girl. What do you know? You know, it's like, no, I, I actually um, I think I can safely say in this one particular obscure subject, I'm currently the world expert. <laughs> so, you know, stop, please. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's not nice to know that those experiences are universal, but uh, but well, I mean, in this realm of yeah. you know military history and and ships and all these technical history you know cuz it's all this like great men of history right. kind of thing it all is, seems very macho yes um do you does it feel like that when people are talking about this that there is that sort of like this is this is like man stuff it, we're discussing well again it's it's when you're talking with laymen who have just a really basic understanding they've read a couple of books or they've watched some stuff on the history channel which by the way i do not recommend uh <laughs> got it it's important to know <laughs> oh they had a show about pirates and there was a thing in there that just drove me crazy but because it was so weird but we can come back to that if you want sure. but uh so you know within the actual academic community i'm sure it exists I just haven't encountered it. Okay. So everybody there has been very cool about, oh, you're a woman and you're studying this subject, big deal, who cares? As long as what you're presenting makes sense and is obviously well-researched, it's fine. You know, nobody cares. Right. But, or the vast majority don't seem to care. But yeah, so it's mostly just dealing with laymen who have a certain sense of, oh, well, I'm a guy, I know military history, I know this, whatever, and what could you possibly know? Got it. All right. Well, no, that's good to know that at least on the professional level. Yes. That, I have heard I have heard things, but I have not encountered things. Okay. Well, may you never. Yes. Because um, that sounds horribly <laughs> And especially since I don't really – I'm not doing this professionally. I'm not, I'm not teaching at a university. I have no aspirations to do that. I haven't even put all of my dissertation together in an article. I did one for part of it. But, I mean, so I don't have as much – connection to that academic mm-hmm. community as I did while I was physically there in school doing it. Well, I don't think that we've gotten in plain terms how you use this knowledge uh, today. Uh, um, to uh, amuse and amaze people. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But, I <laughs> but mean, that, like was, that was one of the things is going over there. What I told everybody and tried to tell myself was, well, I'm going to work in a maritime museum because sure. then I can share this stuff with people. But the fact is... One of the things I thought, well, I'll move to England for a year. I'll experience a real winter because I am a native Californian and I'll see it's okay. And then I can, it'll be okay to move to the East Coast where most of the maritime museums are. That makes sense. I experienced a real winter and I said, screw that. Ah, (laughs) So now I'm limited to basically California maritime museums. And there are, there are three or four. San Diego is by far the best one. Like the Mm -hmm. LA Maritime Museum, it's neat, but it doesn't, it's not where I want to be. San Diego would be great, but, you know, I'm not into it enough. But, you know, by halfway through my studies in England, I thought, let's be honest, that's not, I don't really want to do that. I kind of just wanted to go back to Disney and get a better job there, right? <laughs> which I didn't do, thankfully. But so now I'm, you know, doing till I'm doing the podcast, which all of that does figure into it. And, and I've got a, fr- a job w- at a company that a friend started in, in the animation industry, okay. you know, that's still kind of starting up. So that's an off and on job, but you know, but I, so I've still been like, well, I'm not sure where I want to go really until this thing came along, but it's just not, I don't want to teach at a university and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I especially don't with a master's degree, you can teach at a community college level, but it's going to be general history and I don't right. care. <laughs> right. So, no, of course. I care about how we look at history and I care about how we 
use history today. Like when we, we, you know, because a lot of times we look at it again, like I said, from our modern perspective and and we're looking at it in ways that don't really make sense Mm -hmm. and we're using it for things that don't make sense. You know, we're sort of misusing history a lot of the time it seems. And, and so I care about that and I care about trying to point that out to people sometimes of, yeah, but if you look at this from the perspective of people back then, it's different from what you're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. So, but that's about the only way I use it, honestly. But to me, it's a thing that it was such an intense interest and I needed to go and do that. Like I said, I needed to go full pro nerd on it and I needed to understand it and understand how to do research, which is an immensely important skill, I think. And I love having that skill, but it, it wasn't a thing that I needed to turn into a career. Mm-hmm. I just needed to do it and I did it and I'm happy with that. No, that's, I mean, we've, we've gone over the, the, the steps that it, it took to reach that, but right. I think that, you know, that's a very acknowledged for knowledge's sake, yes. I think is a perfectly is, great thing. Yes. And that's the thing I've encountered people say, oh, well, how's that degree working out for you? Right. You know, I've heard them do it to other people too, because they aren't working in the field of their degree. And I try to explain to those people, that's not what education is for. It's not trade school when you go to university. Right. So yeah, if you go end up working in whatever you studied, that's great. But if you don't, that doesn't matter. What you learned was more than just that subject. You learned how to think in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you learned how to recognize more things that are happening around you in the world in a different way. And you're more sophisticated in the way that you approach the world and the way that you look at what's happening and what's kind of happening behind the scenes and things. So right. education is never wasted. And it doesn't have to be about doing something to then go and get a job in what you studied. And that's really important to me that right. people don't seem to get it. Did you find in your studies about, you know, uh, about quota men and about, um, uh, about sailing, uh, did you find some sort of, you know, like universal epiphany like, with this that sort of like opened your eyes to something a little bit more? Uh, I don't know that if there was a universal epiphany. Well, that might be a little bit highfalutin. Well, I really would like to come up with one now. It's like, God, that'd be great. (laughs) But but something that like really opened your perspective on something that like that, you know, like it's not just there for the immediate taking that like it requires a little bit of, well, to me that came more for, it came from the study of history and realizing that. You know, a lot of what we base our understanding of historical subjects on are the books that we've read. Mm-hmm. But when you go back, like like these quota men, their reputation, as I traced it back to its origin, it came basically from one quote in one book written in the 1800s. My, the title of my of my dissertation starts with "Them were the chaps as played hell with the fleet," and it's because it was this really colorful long quote of this. It came from, in the book, it says, a sailor. Right. So that's very specific. And and it's this long, colorful quote, all in sailorly language. You know, them were the chaps has played hell with the fleet. And, you know, talking about how awful these quota men were when they came on board the ships and blah, blah, blah. And it, there's there's no attribution to anyone who said it. There's no document it came from. Uh, so, and I say that in here. I give the quote in my dissertation, and I say there's there's – where did it come from? Like, right. there's no document. Nobody's ever found a document that this was in. Does this author claim to have heard it firsthand from someone who was aboard one of those vessels? That's possible that happened. But how did he remember this in such colorful, perfect language mm-hmm. like this? And, you know, it's so colorful that you have to question, is this even real? Because right. there's nothing to prove that it is other than this one guy just placing it in a book and a saying it was said by a sailor. Well, (laughs) that doesn't seem very true to me. And that's the kind of thing is then that one quote in that one book is what every other book after it based Mm -hmm. their comments on the quota men on that and a couple of little things that were written by captains or lieutenants. And it's like, well, were those guys just venting frustrations with these new guys who weren't sailors that they had to train up, you know? Uh, which seems a lot more likely to me. Yeah. <laughs> like they were just like, oh, I hate these guys. So 
you know, it, so you have to think about that when you look at history and when you have things that are repeated in all the books that you read now that are all secondary sources, they're not the primary source. So is there an attribution? Can you, can you trace back where you could go and look at a primary source and see that? Or is it just something that somebody way back in the 1800s when history wasn't quite as technical, you know, just wrote down once and everybody's taken it as gospel and now right. we're looking at something completely incorrectly. Got it. Well, uh, glad we had you to unravel that mystery. <laughs> um, no, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, don't believe everything you read kind Absolutely. of thing. Um, Absolutely. No, that's important. When so, and that, I mean, and that figures into all the memes you see on the Internet, all right. the stories you see, all the articles you read. Take the time to look at them and say, where did this come from? Where did this story come from? Where did this quote come from? You know, there are all these things with like quotes from Einstein about how, you know, awful young kids are, whatever. Sure. I'm like, you look at that and your main, your, your brain really should say, Einstein probably wouldn't have said something <laughs> like that. That seems kind of out of character for that guy. And you'll, if you try to research it, you'll see it's a complete fake. So that's the kind of stuff is take the time to look at it, consider it. Does this seem logical or not? And Try to go back and see where it came from. Click to the article. What where, what does the article reference? Nothing, right. probably not real. Yeah. Does it reference something else? Click on that. See what that is. Is that from some weird site with an agenda? You yep. know. So if you follow things back, you can actually end up being quite well informed and say, no, no, this actually. You're exposing 18th century fake news. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Imagine yeah. the memes about Clinton. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Just uh, the lieutenants on Twitter just lambasting everyone. Um, but uh, now, all right, uh, just because I think that it's a bit more what people think of when they think oh, of sure. this era. Yes. Um, you know, you, you talked like you've focused heavily on the military history and uh, the quota men in the Navy and all that stuff. Now, how tempting for you is it to just be a pirate? Oh, very. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a full pirate outfit, really nice coat and everything that I wear to, you know, the Renaissance Fair, 200 years out of date. No mm -hmm. problem. When reading about these histories of even yes. like whether great men or the, you know, the, the general everyday person, um, you know, like pirates just have such a, you know, imagination capturing yes. element to them that is – is the history that that like because you seem it's to pretty it's pretty interesting history okay. i mean and it's it's brutal it's violent i mean when you really read up on pirates there's one book called a general history of pirates that has a much longer title than that i can't remember but that's mm -hmm. the basic title it, that's kind of what everything we know about pirates was taken from more or got less. it okay and so all the others that's why it becomes very repetitive after a while is because others will have some little things they can they've mm -hmm. researched and can contribute on top of it. But most of it comes from that book. Again, that's the thing where you have to say, was this all true? Are that there's one whole chapter in that book that some people say is true. I don't think it is about this whole like pirate Island that existed. And I think it's a lot of it, like a whole, their own little like civilization of, okay, I mean, it's yeah. kind of ridiculous, but whatever, that's much my take on it. When you really start to learn about, it, I mean, the stuff you see in Hollywood movies, a lot of that is false, but when you get into reading about them, there are other things as brutal as they are, I mean, it's still great fun to play pirate. I still love pirates in a in a fanciful way, mm -hmm. but I am keenly aware that they were terrible criminals, yeah. many of them completely psychotic. I mean, Ned Lowe is far and away the most psychotic pirate who ever lived. This was a guy who would like if he didn't if he captured a ship and he tied up the captain of the vessel and he didn't like like he said he would say tell me where you have your hid your gold and he'd be right. like wait i don't have any you know and if he didn't like what the guy was saying he would just do something like cut his ear off and make another of this guy's crew members eat it uh with Ugh. some salt oh. and pepper yeah he oh, at least it was seasoned right uh he cut a guy's lips off i think he made that guy eat his own lips something like that i mean Jesus. really horrendous stuff yeah and then things like you know various crews who who you know they they took ships and there were women on the ship and they you know did what they wished with them and then literally broke their backs and threw them overboard like that's horrendous stuff 
and yet I can still separate. Yes, <laughs> like, right. Yes, I know what they were, and yet I do like to play pirate. Right. <laughs> so well. it's a bit of a weird thing, but I mean, and I and I encourage people to learn the reality because then you know what you're what it is you're really mm-hmm. celebrating. You know, uh, Blackbeard was insane too, but sure. Although he uh, he is my favorite, he's everybody's favorite pirate, right? But to me, it's because he so understood what he was doing. And he understood that by putting on a show, mm. basically, he could get what he wanted without having to fire his guns. Got it. And, right. Which, by the way, a cannon is a cannon on shore. It's a gun the moment it hits the deck of a, of a ship. You oh. call it a cannon when it's on a sailing vessel. It's a gun. So uh, things you learn. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but I mean, with his with his slow match in his beard and and you know looking like the devil because he had all this smoke swirling around him and everything, and you've got the big scary black flag with the skeletal guy with right. a spear spearing a heart, and you know, he, all you had to do was create that frightening demon-like presentation and when you came upon a merchant vessel they were gonna go oh hell no <laughs> let's just give him what he wants yep i don't want to we don't want to get into this that guy is the devil and you know because you're still in a time of where there was some superstition like sure. that and so you know i admire him for being able to exploit the show to meet his ends but yeah you know. i uh, you know this is just i mean this is all fascinating stuff, um, <laughs> of course. But, uh, you know, for those that uh, don't know that much or only have seen the the shallowest end of this subject, yeah. um, do you think that there's some sort of, like, comparable history to it? Uh, you know, anything that kind of, like, rings close to uh, this world of, you know, exploring in the Navy and uh, pirates and all of that? In history? Yeah. I think that maritime history, that the, the pirates and the sailing era capture our imagination in a way that perhaps no other history really does. Mm-hmm. I mean, World War Two maybe okay. is pretty yeah. similar because it's such a, a hugely popular subject. To me, I couldn't care less, again, because it's outside my area. But but that's one that really holds on to people, and we still make movies about it constantly. And, you know, that's that's another – and there's a lot of maritime history in that too. But it's that big battle kind of thing where the sailing era has a lot of that too, where there were constant battles and technological changes and how we approached battle and all of that going on. So mm-hmm. – it may be similar, but I think for capturing the imagination, I think this period's kind of unparalleled, really. Where, where do you find the, you know, poetry in it, I guess, sort of the, the high romance of it all? <laughs> well, the pirates, of course. Okay, great. They are very romantic. Uh, and and in the sort of, you know, the dashing Royal Navy officers, a lieutenant's uniform just does it for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and again, that's very specific, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not the captain, right. the lieutenants. Uh, <laughs> Got to give the lieutenants some love. Uh, so yeah, I, I find a lot of the the passion for it and the interest in in those kinds of you know the same as anybody really. Right. No, yeah. no I mean when hey, you get down to it. Hey, look, I, I just mean that you know there is this very undeniable mysterious romance to the sea and everything like that right well and and it's and it's a thing where yeah it it looks very romantic and yet we don't really typically understand it so there's still Mm -hmm. that mystery to it of oh all the things they did on those boats and how did that work and these were men who knew that stuff and could go out and they were hardy men they could sail for months at a time and right and they went to exotic locations when no one else really got to do that you know they could sail around the world and see different countries and different peoples and things and you know and that the common person couldn't do that then Mm -hmm. so uh, there is a very romantic notion to all of it and i understand that and i feel it too you right. know i still find it very romantic even though i understand the nuts and bolts of it right and even though you know this may have been the first time that a british person had seen singapore or something yes. like that and we all know what singapore is nowadays but <laughs> yes um and and the, the the british people were going out to india and the west indies and places and this is lovely let's take it right so. <laughs> there's that whole element it's to ours it too. now yeah. that's a whole other complicated As history Eddie Izzard says we have a flag yeah uh, 
Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we're going to bring this to a close. As All right. We okay. Been... I know. I know. I know. It's tragic. It's tragic. But um, I could go for days. Uh, but, you know, what I what I do try to uh, always ask um, for these these questions or for these subjects, I mean, what would you say to encourage someone to get into it uh whether that's you know you think like i mean you mentioned some books which i will happily link to um but uh you know what would you say is like a good step one for people that might be more intrigued about this subject after listening to you um if you want to learn about pirates do pick up david cordingley's under the black flag like i did the very first one i cannot recommend a better first book Mm -hmm. to get into that um, Royal Navy is a little trickier because um, there are so many books, some of them very long. It depends what part you want to get into. Do you want to get into the battles and things? Then N.A.M. Rogers' The Command of the Ocean is a brilliant book. It covers the entire stinking like sailing history Got of it. the Royal Navy. It's a big book. Um, but the Jack Tar by Roy and Leslie Adkins is terrific if you want a, an easily digestible book about mm-hmm. life in the Navy or, you know, on sailing vessels in that era, um, watch master and commander. (laughs) If it, if it excites you, if you watch that and go, Ooh, I'd like to learn more about what I'm seeing here and what that life was really like, go read those books and, and it'll, it'll give you that. So great. Yeah. Um, no, it all, it all sounds fascinating. And as we began with this, the, you know, general age of sale is yes. a few many hundreds of years yes. and uh <laughs> the you know the uh the golden age um which you find yourself in is a, an immense subject um, yes so yeah, of course I mean, we we haven't even talked about the whole burgeoning of the u.s navy which i know less well but i mean but there's so much in that period because you've got the british and the u.s right. and you've got the french and you've got the dutch and you've got everybody with these sailing navies and it's amazing and if my research was correct um the end of the age of sail was the u.s civil war right yeah it would have been right around then yes because yeah, that's okay. when when the steam engine vessels started to come around All right so probably yeah around then the mid 1800s all right well yeah. hey, so you know that brings it home a little bit more um yes. and uh <laughs> but uh well, and you can visit uss constitution in boston which is one right. of our first six naval frigates that were ever built so ah, yeah right oh yeah i guess the east coast would be filled with all of yes. this stuff yeah, right? they get all the saying. good stuff yeah. <laughs> we did have a pirate attack in california i do want to point that out Hippolito Bouchard, who was a Frenchman sailing for Argentina, came. There's ah. a little tiny book you can get called The Burning of Monterey. It's fascinating. He attempted to burn Monterey. He visited San Juan Capistrano. There was a pirate attack on the mission. They used to celebrate it with a pirate celebration every year. And, uh, yeah, so we do have we do have Ooh. naval history here. We do have maritime history here. So you can well, find it. That uh, brings me to uh, the the last end part, which is, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned before uh, in passing quite a few numbers of things that you're involved with in the uh, L.A. area. Yes. Um, and if you just want to plug anything that of you want to. Of course I yeah. do. I want to plug my podcast. Yes, of course. Uh, Please do. <laughs> plug away. Podcaster to podcaster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my show is called Movies Made Me. I've been doing it for about two and a half years now. It's available in all the places you get your podcasts. And uh, it is a show where I have a guest on each episode and we talk about the five movies and three other things, anything under the sun that have influenced them to be who they are. Mm -hmm. So I've had, you know, everyone from a local coffee shop waitress to uh, the actor Clancy Brown, uh, the creators of Phineas and Ferb have been on, you know, I've had all kinds of people all over the spectrum uh, just telling their stories. And sometimes it gets pretty intense. We have some, mm-hmm. I've had some really interesting conversations with people. So, uh, yeah, mmmpodcast.com. All right, great. And uh, any any um, maritime stuff that uh, of yours that people uh, could check out? I don't have anything going currently, really. Uh, I'm not even doing the Admiral Nelson Ball anymore. It is going on without me. I am not doing it. Uh, uh, okay. You know, 
things with committees. Right. It just gets too much. Uh- <laughs> well, then, well, then we can say screw them. They missed the golden era. Go of out, the, of well, the- go out. If you're interested in any of it, go out and, and look for your local English country dancing village, as we call them. They are all over the place. You've never heard of it, but they're all out there. Oh, there's great. One in, there's one in Culver City. There's one in Anaheim where I have danced. They're all, there's all over the place, all over the country, literally all over the world. People are doing this, and you never knew it was taking place. So. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's what we're about, Try finding, finding the new stuff. That's um, absolutely right. But, uh, but yes, thank you so much, Cheryl. This is what? like an immensely fascinating subject that uh, you know we have to truncate just due to, uh, due to time and, um, you know. I understand. Maybe, hopefully, we did not lull people to sleep with our talk on this <laughs> I one. Hope. God, I hope not. Um, but, but it uh, was it was fascinating to get to come to do this, and it was exciting, and uh, I deeply appreciate the opportunity to oh. display my nerd flag. Oh, hey, look, <laughs> your nerd flag with a with a Jolly Roger on it. Yes, and I I will I will be honest. I do have one tattoo, and it is the skull and crossed cutlasses, Jack Rackham's flag, and uh, and by coincidence, Barbosa's flag. You know what? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, this is great. And merry sailings, I guess. What's a, what's a proper maritime uh, send off? Uh, oh, Jesus. Now I'm not going to get it right. Uh, uh, I believe it's fair winds and following seas. Fair winds and following seas, Cheryl. And to you too. Uh, thank you.